Thanks, Karen. Good morning. Welcome to Women in the Word. If you weren't here last week, I am Shelley Davis, and it is a treat to be here with each of you this morning. It is a great day of the week, Thursday. I always almost kind of think the weekend is here when um, we've done Thursday, and that's not true. We still have Friday to go about our day, our week, don't we, before the weekend is here. We had a great time together last week if you were here. And by the way, if you need verses or outlines, I see Mimi uh, raise your hand. She'll give you verses and outlines because you're going to need those as we study together this morning. We had a great time together last week, didn't we? We talked about James and John, those sons of thunder. And in case you couldn't figure out who was who, this is John up there on the screen for us this morning. Those are great portraits, aren't they? This is a series of portraits done by an artist. I believe his last name is Wyatt. He traveled all over the country and studied different people and then prayed through the scriptures and then painted these portraits as a result of years and years of study. So they're very good. I would love to see the originals. Anyway, we had a great time last week with James and John, our Sons of Thunder. We learned that they actually came by their nicknames very honestly, if you think back to what we talked about last week, because we saw as we looked at the scriptures that as they walked with Jesus and as they lived with Jesus, they were definitely passionate and forceful and headstrong and ambitious guys. And even when we saw Jesus rebuke them time and time again in the scriptures, They took it without wavering or even flinching and just went right on. They were guys that could take the heat. These brothers were not shrinking violets in any sense of the word. We saw as we got to the end of James's life that James was ambitious and headstrong till the end. His nature of ambition and Um, headstrong will did not diminish even after Jesus went to the cross and he spent 14 years ministering in the name of Jesus because at the end of his life, even as his jailer led him to the trial that was going to lead to his execution, he was able with his passionate self lead that jailer to faith in Jesus Christ. This week we're going to turn our focus to John. John is the younger brother. John is the disciple who survives longer than any of the other apostles, living perhaps into his 90s. And John is the apostle, the disciple, that's probably more familiar to each of us than anyone else except Peter. John's name appears more than 50 times in the New Testament, second only to Peter's name. And John wrote more of the New Testament than anyone except Peter. And just like James, John remains his passionate, strong-willed, bold self throughout his entire life and throughout his entire ministry. Today, we're going to continue putting a face on John so that as we look back in the months and years to come, we're going to remember exactly who John was. And I want to give you a reminder as we start out, you probably already talked about this in your small groups, but we are talking about John, the apostle, the disciple who Jesus called to himself to be one of the twelve. It's easy to get confused sometimes in the book of John when we're reading the name John 
That is John the Baptist. Uh, In the first few chapters of John, he's talking about John the Baptist. So we're talking today about John the Apostle, not John the Baptist, although we're going to share a little bit about John the Baptist. Now, I was a freshman at the University of Texas in the fall of 1970. It was the height of the Vietnam War. It was the ultimate of hippie movement in Austin, Texas, as you can only imagine. It was a a constant war protest wherever, wherever I went. There was a book, a small paperback novel that took my girl's dorm by storm, and I think probably every other dorm on, girl's dorm on campus. It was an emotional romance. Does anyone think what it might be? Love story, absolutely love story. We all, um, every, every, if you didn't have a date on Friday night, you stayed home with the book Love Story, and we read it, and we cried over it, and we took to heart something that the rich Harvard Law student and the poor Radcliffe music major say to each other. After a heated argument, those of you that know Love Story know that they clung to each other on the steps of their poor little apartment, and they said those famous words, Love means never having to say you're sorry. Yeah. Now, I'm embarrassed to admit, but at 18, we all thought that was the most romantic and amazing thing that had ever been said. It was what we all wanted. We all wanted a relationship that was so passionate and so deep and so intense that love meant never having to say you're sorry. But there was a problem. No matter how romantic it was, it just wasn't true. (laughs) It wasn't true. Love, real love, real true love, does mean having to say you're sorry. And each of us eventually were wronged by a boyfriend or a best friend or perhaps even our parents. And guess what we wanted? We wanted an apology. We wanted someone to say that they were sorry. And so none of us were willing to admit it, but we all eventually discovered that love story, that great little sappy novel, wasn't based on the truth when it came to real, everyday relationships and everyday emotions. It was, in fact, pure, unadulterated fiction. And no matter how romantic it was, it did not work in real life. Well, today, as we look at John, our apostle, our younger brother, we're going to discover that our passionate and bold son of thunder actually does find something that works in real life, something that holds up to the test of time, and something that does produce change in his life and in the lives of those around him. John discovers the truth, and not just his truth, but John discovers God's truth, which, is, which resides in God and is God's message and revelation for all of mankind. And John begins a love story of his own that lasts for his entire life. In fact, John's love story with the truth is actually one of the hallmarks of John's life. 
in his writings, when he writes the Gospel of John in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he uses the word truth more than 25 times in his Gospel and more than 20 times in his epistle, more than any other writer in the New Testament. And it's John that records for us in no uncertain terms that Jesus is the living truth. On your verse sheet, John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And John 1.17, he records, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And John records Jesus' own words about who he is when he says in 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life. In his third epistles, John even tells us that the greatest joy in his own life is to know that believers, those who are followers of Jesus Christ, those people that John has personally shepherded and pastored and told the truth to, are walking in the truth that they're not walking in the myths of our young couple in love story, but they're walking in the truth. That is John's greatest joy. In John, 3 John 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, as I studied John, I became convicted that John began his love story with the truth when he first heard God's message and revelation God's truth, and he heard it on the banks of the Jordan River outside of Bethany as he stood and listened to the prophet John the Baptist call out to all that would listen that they should repent because the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And we actually looked at those scriptures last week. We're going to read them again here in just a moment. We looked at John 1.35, and we saw that John not only heard the Baptist speak the truth, but he was so taken by the truth that he actually became a disciple of John the Baptist before he met Jesus. And as a result of that one step that John made in pursuit of the truth, John encountered God's living truth in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1, 35 through 37 says, the next day John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. And of course that was Andrew and John the Apostle. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Now we need to remember that John the Baptist that we're talking about right here in this verse was not a mainstream icon in the Jewish culture that John the Apostle was a part of. The Baptist was a very unique and unusual man. And he had a unique and unusual message. And in fact, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish political um, uh, authorities of the day were really not quite sure what to make of John the Baptist. You see, he had no real authority in the Jewish political system, but people listened to his message. First of all, they listened to his message, I believe, out of curiosity. Who is this guy with the hairy garments and eats locusts and comes to the Jordan River every day and shouts out that we're all sinners? But I think they soon realized that John's message had truth. It was God's message that they were beginning to hear. And that actually, of course, was God's, God's plan for John the Baptist from the beginning. 
John the Apostle's headstrong nature that we've seen all along in his life served him well on the banks of the Jordan River because it gave him the courage to care more about the Baptist message of truth than about what others would think about him. It gave him the courage to realize that heart, that truth made his heart beat fast. And as he made a choice to follow the Baptist and God's truth, John, our Apostle John, discovers an important principle as, John, as Jesus comes to the Jordan River. And that principle is pursuing even a small amount of truth will eventually lead us into greater truth. John the Apostle hears truth from John the Baptist and he pursues it only to find that it eventually leads him straight to God's truth in the flesh, Jesus Christ. On the banks of the Jordan River, John first discovered the Baptist, who he saw loved truth more than life itself. He loved truth so much that he was not afraid of of death. And then John the Baptist, John the Apostle, discovers Jesus, who was the complete truth, who loved the truth so much that he was willing to be made man in the flesh. On your outline, John was a man who fell in love with the truth. Now we know from our study last week when we looked at our brothers, our sons of thunder, James and John, that, that Jesus eventually came to John his bro- and his brother on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and they left their nets. We talked about that last week and their thriving business. They even left their dad and they followed Jesus. And what they realized that day was that Jesus had something. They weren't quite sure what it was. I don't think they could have articulated it. But whatever he had, they needed. What they didn't realize was what he actually had to give them was the truth, God's truth, the whole of God's revelation and message for mankind. And from that day forward, as the Apostle John first encounters God's whole truth, he begins to change. Now, he doesn't necessarily change his personality or his nature because we're still going to see that John is a man of boldness and headstrong ambition throughout his life and his ministry. But what we do see is we see that his encounter with the truth changes his life direction, it changes his life purpose, and fortunately, eventually, it changes his selfish heart. And we can see that clearly in the scriptures as we look at John. First, his life direction changes as he goes from a man who has a fishing business that is occasionally seeking the truth. He goes from a man who has a fishing business seeking the truth to being a man who lives with the truth day by day by day. Mark 1.20 on your verse sheet. Without delay, he called them, meaning Jesus, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. I put that verse in there because it lets us see that as a result of John's initial pursuit of the truth, John goes with Jesus, and he begins to live day by day by day with Jesus, God's truth in the flesh. And that gives him an opportunity that he had never had before in his life, and that is the opportunity to hear God himself 
teach God's pure truth wherever they went. And that is a new direction in John's life, one he had never experienced before Jesus. Psalm 26.3 describes the new direction that John has in, in his life. And it says, For your love is ever before me, and I walk continually in your truth. And living and walking constantly with the truth goes on and gives John a new purpose in life. He goes from being a fisherman, a businessman, to being a fisher of men, someone that has an eternal purpose, a ministry, and a reason to get up every morning and think, today is going to be amazing. We see John's bold spirit and his headstrong nature lead him into being a man that doesn't stand in his boat on the Sea of Galilee and let truth pass him by. He begins a new purpose as he walks in the truth. Mark 1, 17 says, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. And John three twenty one says, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly what he has done has been done through God. John's new purpose in life allows him to come into the light so that all of his life becomes examined and becomes purposeful and becomes new. Now perhaps the greatest work of truth in John's life is the one that is accomplished in his heart as he's being changed from his ambitious self to being, to be, from being ambitious for himself to being humble for the kingdom of God. And we know because we looked at it last week what a stretch that was going to be for John's selfish heart. If you remember, we looked at a one instance that's recorded in two different places in the scriptures. It's recorded in Mark 10 and Matthew 20. It's where we saw John and his brother James go into Jesus and ask to be seated at his right hand and his left hand, to ask that they would be elevated to a position of honor. Now, we didn't take the time to do this last week, but if we had put that verse in context, those, that incident with James and John, we would have looked back a few verses and we would have seen, remarkably enough, that they do this. They come in and ask to be elevated to a position of honor right after Jesus has told them what the future holds. This is not at the beginning of their experience and their walk with Jesus. This is at the end as he's headed towards Jerusalem in the crucifixion. And he tells them right before they go in and ask for their own selfish hearts, this is what he has just said to them. Mark 10, 33 and 34 on your verse sheet. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be before betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And so James and John take that in and then go right into him and say, but what about us? Can't we have a position of honor here? They listen to Jesus tell what the future holds for him. And they, their hearts are so selfish that they ask for their own greatness. So we can see that even though there's evidence in the scriptures that the truth has begun to change John's direction in life, he's a man that now lives day by day by day with Jesus, and the truth has begun to change his 
purpose in life, it's harder to change our hearts, even when we have the truth. And the truth was still in the process of changing John's heart and pursuing it. I heard a story that speaks to that. I heard Chuck Swindoll tell a story on the radio about two brothers who had hearts that were never, ever changed by the truth. Even though they attended church regularly and they attended a church that actually had a young pastor who had a heart and a zeal for the truth and he preached it Sunday after Sunday and these two brothers sat on the front row. They were wealthy, they were selfish, and they were evil. But somehow, like we're all able to do um, occasionally, they hid their wicked hearts from those people around them. They were able to be great hypocrites. When one of the brothers died, the other brother went to the young pastor and he asked him to preach the funeral. And the day before the funeral, the brother came in with an envelope and he hands it to this young pastor that loves the truth. And he said, there's a check in there for enough money to build an entire new sanctuary for your church. All you have to do is tell everyone at the funeral that my brother was a saint. Now this pastor that loved the truth took the envelope and he assured the brother that he would do just that. Those words would come out of his mouth the next day. And that afternoon he deposited the check in the bank so it would clear and he would have the money in the bank. At the funeral the next day, the young pastor stood before the casket and he said with great conviction to everyone that was there, this man was an ungodly sinner. He was wicked to the core. He was unfaithful to his wife. He was hot-tempered with his children. He was dishonest in business, and he was definitely a hypocrite at church with all of us. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. (laughs) When I heard... Chuck Swindoll tell that story, it reminded me that, you know, truth eventually reveals the condition of all of our hearts. No matter how hard we try to conceal it, no matter how hard the brother wanted it concealed at his own brother's funeral, truth eventually revealed it all. And it's true for all of us. It was true for the brothers. It's true for John. It's true for us. Without the truth, none of us are ever going to be saints. And Jeremiah 17, 9 on your verse sheet tells us why. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. But fortunately for our John, Jesus does have the cure for each and every one of our hearts. And the Apostle John discovers that cure and it changes him forever. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 20. We're going to read a few verses there and discover what the cure was once and for all for John's heart. First one says, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. 
Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Our Apostle John is, of course, the other disciple that outruns Peter and gets to the tomb first. And as John goes into that tomb and looks at those grave clothes and realizes that they are so perfectly left and arranged, it looks as if Jesus had passed right through them. And he discovers in his own heart that it was impossible not to realize that Jesus had actually been raised from the dead just as he had told them back in Mark 10 that we read a few moments ago. Truth shattered whatever selfish ambition was still left in John's heart and replaced it from that moment on with humility and belief. The truth of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus was the final piece of truth that changed John's heart forever. 1 John 5, 9, and 11 on your sheet says, We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given us about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. John enters that empty tomb and he stands behind Peter and God's truth and his testimony of who Jesus Christ really is changes his heart forever. And we see the changes in John's heart as humility rather than selfish ambition begins to characterize his ministry in the New Testament church. In the book of Acts, if we look forward and see John ministering with Peter as the church is founded, we see that Peter's name is always listed first. And it is Peter who's recorded nine times out of ten. There's only one place in the New Testament I found in the book of Acts that I found John speaking instead of Peter. But Peter is always recorded as John. His humble heart has let Peter take the lead in ministry. There's an example of that in Acts 3, 3 through 6 on the sheet. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I give you, but I have... But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You know, I have to think that as Peter and John ministered together, and it was very obvious in their ministry team that John was stepping back and in humility giving Peter the lead role in the New Testament church, I have to think that Peter sometimes, as he began to speak and saw John in humility standing there, that Peter had to smile. And think back to all those times that John was in the middle of an argument about whether he was going to get to be the greatest in the church or not. Lynn's going to talk to us about Peter in a few weeks, and I'm sure John had a few thoughts about Peter and the changes in his life. But you have to know that those who knew the Son of Thunder before his heart was changed by the truth, and those that knew the humble John afterwards had to marvel at the remarkable change that had take, taken place. 
Now, John's heart also makes it known in his writings. In the Gospel of John, you will see that John never once mentions himself by name in the Gospel that he himself wrote. If John wrote it, he simply calls himself the disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he never paints himself in any of his own writings as a hero, but he takes every chance if he references himself to make Jesus Christ in the place of honor. Truth has changed John's ambitious heart into a grateful, humble heart. On your outline, John is a man who was changed by the truth. Now, encountering the truth at the Sea of Galilee and at the resurrection and the spirit of truth at the Pentecost not only changed John personally, it changed his direction in life as he lives every day with the truth and it changed his purpose in life as he lets go of a business and becomes involved in ministry and it changing his heart. It also inspired him to tell the truth so that other people might have their lives changed also. On your outline, John was a man who wanted others to know the truth. His passion for telling the truth, telling others the truth, comes first of all from his desire that all the world would know Jesus Christ, that they would know that he is the resurrected Lord, and as they know that truth, they would believe and have eternal life. He says that to us in his gospel in John 20, 31. This was in your homework. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That was his first passion for telling the truth to others. But I think he also had a second passion, and we looked at that a little bit in your homework also. His second passion for telling the truth has to come simply from the joy and excitement that bubbles up on the inside of him when he recalls everything that he personally heard Jesus teach in the two and a half years that he walked with Jesus. It has to come from seeing those, those miracles happen firsthand. It comes from all that he has witnessed. He witnessed miracles. He witnessed the voice of God. If you remember the transfiguration, he witnessed the resurrection personally. Jesus walked into the room and showed him the hands and the feet. He witnessed the ascension. He witnessed the coming of the Holy Spirit, those tongues of fire that had to have been a phenomenal experience. And of course, he witnessed the beginning of the church. He says as much in 1 John 1 through 3. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we see with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. The truth, because he had seen it and he had heard it and he had experienced the life change that came from it, the truth would always be John's passion. And we see John's commitment to personally sharing the truth with others throughout the rest of his life. In the book of Acts, as I mentioned earlier, he is Peter's co-worker in the New Testament church. And in Galatians, we learn that John was a pillar of the church in Jerusalem. 
he was teaching and preaching and traveling with Peter so that new converts were made daily to the church in Jerusalem. And in Acts 4, he and Peter are actually accosted by the Jewish leadership and jailed and brought before the Sanhedrin for what they are saying. But when they are told to stop telling others the truth, this is their reply. Acts 4.18 Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Even under threat of physical punishment and death by the Jewish leaderships, John's commitment to the truth is never shaken throughout his life. He's not a man to be intimidated. He is our son of thunder when it comes to the truth, and he is determined to be a witness of the truth what to what he has seen and heard and experienced, regardless of the consequences. Now, John remained in Jerusalem, becoming a pillar of the church and teaching the truth with his co-apostles and his co-workers, Peter, for the next 20 years. But we can know that even after that 20 years, his headstrong desire to tell others the truth was never waned because 20 years into his ministry, John moves to Asia Minor and he settles in Ephesus. And it's there that he writes this truth that speaks to each one of us today. It's unclear what John wrote first, whether he wrote the Gospels or perhaps one of the, the Gospel or perhaps one of the Epistles first, but each and every one of them reflects John's love story with the truth. John's Gospel is actually the most distinctive of all the Gospels, and in fact I read somewhere something that I was amazed by. John's Gospel contains 93% of it is original truth about Jesus that is not contained in the other three synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John wrote his gospel and, and his epistles to prove the truth that Jesus was God in human flesh. And because of that, John's gospel has some unique characteristics about it to serve that purpose of telling that Jesus was God in the flesh. And one of them is he records, and for time's sake, I'm not going to go through them today, but John records, you may want to look back, he records seven dynamic miracles, the first of which was turning um, the water into wine. I loved it. I didn't prompt Karen, but she came right up here and, and talked about turning the water into wine at the wedding. That was one of the seven miracles that John records in order to show the truth that Christ had power over everything in life, including nature, including time, because there's a miracle where he heals the um, official son when I believe he's in Cana and the son is, is in Capernaum. And all Jesus does is speaks, and it proves that he has dominion over distance because he can heal even when he's not in that place. To make sure that his own witness to the truth was never disputed, John also records, and you did this in your homework, the witnesses of John the Baptist, God the Father, Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Scriptures, and the disciples that testify along with John that Jesus was indeed God in the flesh and that he lived and that he died and that he rose again. I know a young law student who had the opportunity to do an internship with a 
uh, one of the district courts of appeals. And when he finished the experience, I heard him sharing one day that the number one thing that he learned uh, after working with the justices at the appellate level on all of these hundreds and hundreds of cases that go into appeal was that no matter how great a trial lawyer you were, it wasn't enough to win the case the first time. In fact, it actually didn't count at all if you won the case the first time. What counted was that your case would stand up to the scrutiny of an appeals court. This young lawyer became convinced of the importance of making sure that all of your evidence and all of your witnesses and all of your facts could never be called into dispute by a higher court and negate your original judgment. Our Apostle John was not a fisherman. Was a fisherman. He was not a lawyer. But in his headstrong way, we see that he, he wrote about the truth in such a way to make sure that his evidence and his witnesses and his facts would stand up to the scrutiny, not of an appeals court, but to the scrutiny of all of the ages. John's love affair with the truth and his passion for telling it to others has resulted in the salvation of millions of people in the last 2,000 years. And one truth we can all be certain of as we look at John's life is that John's thunder never, ever diminished when it came to proclaiming the truth. Now, I want to finish talking today about John with what we can apply and learn from our own life from John's great passion for the truth. And I think um, one of the first things that jumped out to me when I first began studying John and his love for the truth was that John's pursuit of truth led him to an even greater truth. He pursued John the Baptist and the truth that John was speaking, never ever knowing that he would end up knowing God's complete truth that would lead to eternal life. And so today, ladies, as we study God's word, which is his truth, we can be very confident that he will continue to reveal more and more and more of himself to us as we study the truth. Pursuing God's truth the truth of his word, the truth of who Jesus Christ is, will always lead us straight to God himself. And I love having that in my life. The second thing that I think we can apply to ourselves is that John's life is a great example of what happens when we begin to walk day by day by day with the truth by our side. We will never be the same. The truth will change our direction in life it will probably change our life purpose, and certainly the truth will change all of our hearts. I don't know about you, but every time I pick up a magazine in the doctor's office or turn on the television, it seems to me they're talking about some new way that we're all going to start doing that will change our life or change our families or change our marriage or change our kids. John discovered that it was really very simple. Walk in the truth every single day, and everything in your life will change for the better. And finally, I think the third thing that John teaches us is that truth brings people face-to-face with Jesus. That's what it did for John. And it gave John a passion for sharing the truth and a motivation for sharing the truth that simply came from his desire that other people would come face-to-face with Jesus also.
The truth is going to bring each one of us face to face with Jesus. And if we develop John's passion for the truth in our life, people around us will come face to face with Jesus also. Pray with me. Father, your word is truth, and certainly the life of your son is truth in the flesh. We thank you for the opportunity to um, learn from the Apostle John. We thank you for how he shows us that pursuing even a small bit of truth brings us to you. Lord, I pray that we would be women that walk in the truth every single day of our lives, and that as women that walk in the truth, we would change. Our direction would change, our purpose would change, our hearts would change. Thank you for knowing that you hear this prayer and that you will answer it. I pray that you would be with each one of us as we leave today, that you would protect our hearts, protect our physical bodies, that you would allow us to know how much you love us. I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.